You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 490, Coda. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek. Then, as if caught in a time loop, we watch it again, and again, and again. Then, we examine it for morals, meanings, and messages, and whether it holds up in the end. Or if it is merely a delusion created by a brain-dwelling alien, it's It's hard to tell those apart sometimes. Anyway, this week it's Coda, the one where Janeway has a near-death experience but talks back to death right in his smug face. We'll have trivia in a moment, but first, a word on how to reach us and then a word of thanks to the people in our Patreon community. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at missionlogpod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. Hey, uh, Norman, just a moment ago, you used a very important word. You said that Mission Log is a conversation Indeed, you did. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the ways that we really try to make what we do different from others. Now, once we're done with our research and our notes and recording the show, we're handing the show over to you, our listeners. And the bulk of that conversation carries on in our private discord exclusively for members of the Mission Log Patreon community. And one of the things that happens to any podcast or any form of art like this type of entertainment, once it reaches the public space, then it becomes a part of that public conversation. Some conversation is what it is. And then in our Discord, especially curated by our our subscribers and our fans and our friends, the quality of that conversation is just something more special. It's very in tune with who we are, what we produce, and the content is thought about and discussed in a, a different, albeit still critical and complimentary yeah. way, but in a way that reflects what I believe represents the overall conversation of who our listeners are. I, I love that it is supportive and thoughtful. You know, I I always feel good about reading alternative opinions, different takes on things may not always be in agreement, but I love the idea that those conversations happen in a thoughtful, respectful environment. And, uh, and we sometimes get deep. I would say very often we get deep, whether it's in the text threads or in our weekly live chats that we have in discord. Uh, And Norman, why don't you say thanks to some of those recent people who have joined us in discord? Absolutely. Thank you for coming. Coming on board and subscribing to us. So that would be Carlos, Henry, Gregory, Wendy, Tate, Lee, Morgan. Thank you so much for being with us. 
Yeah, we appreciate it. And if you want to join us in Discord, your key to that is through Patreon, patreon.com slash missionlog. Of course, you get early access to shows. You get some very cool exclusive swag. But yes, that is how you get to Discord, through patreon.com slash missionlog. And now here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, today's episode, Coda, was written by Jerry Taylor, but as we know by now, one name on the credit doesn't tell the whole story. In fact, there were multiple staff writers who had multiple story threads that they were kicking around, each of them not quite strong enough individually to make a story, but Jerry came along to nurture them together into this final piece. Now, just about three months before this episode aired, Jerry's novel Mosaic had been released, serving as a backstory for Captain Janeway. And there were even elements from that, like details about Janeway's father, that were carried over from novel to script. This was directed by Nancy Malone, and here we have a new name for the director's chair. Nancy had an extraordinary career. She started as a child actor. She was on Broadway by the age of 15. She appeared in numerous TV guest roles and films through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then switched over to producing and directing. In her acting career, she appeared on numerous of the Playhouse-type shows of the 50s. Then you get into the 60s, you can find her on The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, and more. She was even in the movie Capricorn One, Then her directing career went all the way from nighttime soap operas to sitcoms like Married with Children to sci-fi like we have here and even the short-lived Starman TV series. She'll be back with us for one more directing credit on Voyager. You know, Norman, I couldn't help but think of another actor turned director with a Star Trek connection, and that would be mm-hmm. Susan Oliver. Of, of course, who played Vina in The Cage, and just thinking, wow, she had this fantastic career on TV, 50s, 60s, 70s, and then switched over to directing. Seems like they were very parallel in that respect. One little piece of trivia that I didn't include here, though, Nancy became the first woman who was the vice president of Fox Television back in the day. So another cool credit to her name. And uh, let's see here. Let me give you a science note about today's episode. We have a reference to hydrazine gas. Yeah, that is a real thing, and it really will kill you. So stay away. Uh, Unless you work for NASA, where it has been used in certain fuel applications. Uh, Still, even if you work for NASA, please be very careful. Let's meet our guest stars. Well, guest star singular this week. That would be Captain Janeway's father. Wait, is he really her father? He is played here by Lynn Carew. And uh, here we have another in the long line of Star Trek actors who has a huge history on stage before jumping over to TV and film. Most recently, Lynn has appeared as a regular as the patriarch of the Reagan family on the cop drama Blue Bloods. You may have caught him on The Practice, Law and Order, The West Wing. Yeah, the guy just plays a lot of authority figures. And he even played Walt Disney in a biopic about Annette Funicello. So far, this is Lynn's only Star Trek appearance. All good. An episode that covers some philosophical ground. Life. Death. Life. Death. Life. Death. Some more death. A little more life. Things of that nature. Prologue. 
After entertaining Neelix's idea for hosting a regular monthly talent show, sans Tuvok's poetry reading, Captain Janeway joins Dakota in a shuttlecraft on their way towards a nearby planet. In the midst of critiquing several crew members' performances from said talent show the night before, especially Tuvok's poetry reading, Janeway and Chakotay find themselves at the mercy of a freak electrical storm which forces them to crash land on the planet's surface. When Chakotay comes to, he finds Captain Janeway unconscious on the floor towards the rear of the shuttlecraft. Act 1. Chakotay tries to revive the captain but is forced to evacuate the shuttle as hydrazine gas toxicity levels are rapidly increasing. He then grabs a medical kit and the captain and makes for the closest clearing in the rocky terrain. After a round of CPR, Janeway is still not breathing. Chakotay then uses a hyprospray and manages to snap her from her unconsciousness. Chakotay then assesses their situation, and it is dire. A still concussed Janeway tries to activate her combat's homing beacon as Chakotay discovers something concerning. Phaser burns on their shuttle's hull may have been the cause of their crash. Suddenly, their tricorders detect Vidian life signatures. Chakotay and Janeway retreat into a cave and are cornered and attacked by swarms of Vidians, one of whom strangles Janeway to death until... until Janeway realizes she is back on the shuttle, reenacting the same series of events alongside Chakotay prior to crash landing on the surface. Chakotay confirms that he's reliving the same events as well and believes a time loop may be in play here. However, before they can act on their theory, they are attacked and destroyed by a Vidian warship. Until Janeway realizes she's back on the shuttle, reenacting the same series of events alongside Chakotay prior to crash landing on the surface. Act 2. Snapping out of their disbelief of being trapped in a temporal loop, Janeway and Chakotay prepare for two incoming Vidian ships on an intercept course. However, this time Voyager is in range. Janeway uses a tachyon burst to try and disrupt the temporal anomaly if one is actually affecting their reality. The Vidian ships disappear and prove that Janeway's theory is correct. However, after returning to Voyager and asking her crew to scan the surrounding area for the anomaly that affected her and Chakotay, the crew informed Janeway that no such time loop occurred, a fact unfortunately corroborated by Chakotay's confirmation as the sole witness to the events on the shuttle. Janeway submits herself for a closer examination by the EMH, who regretfully informs her that she may be suffering from hallucinations brought by contracting the phage from the Vidians who she encountered on the planet, the ones who nearly strangled her to death. And after waking from nearly 40 hours of a sedative-induced slumber, Janeway's phage shows signs of a most aggressive nature, forcing the doctor to choose the most merciful way of preventing Janeway from enduring prolonged suffering before the phage takes her euthanasia. Janeway protests until her last breath as the doctor floods Janeway's force-field encapsulated bedchamber with a neurotoxic gas until she dies. Until Janeway realizes she's back on the shuttle, reenacting the same series of events alongside Chakotay prior to crash landing on the surface. This time, they encounter a bright light in the space ahead of them, and after it engulfs them, Janeway, through an out-of-body perspective, watches herself die again, on the planet's surface, as Chakotay clutches her tightly in his arms, racked with grief and unable to save her. Act 3. Janeway tries to console a grief-stricken Chakotay, but her hand passes right through his shoulder, giving her pause. Chakotay is finally contacted by Voyager, and he informs Tuvok that the captain is dead, but the EMH may still be able to revive her. Shortly after in sickbay, 
The EMH and Kess do everything in their medical power to save the captain, but it is too late. Chakotay leaves to inform the crew, and Kess is ordered to prepare the science lab for an autopsy. Janeway follows Kess into the corridor and tries to make contact with Kess's extrasensory telepathic ability. When Kess walks through the captain's phantom image, she pauses, then later in the briefing room, convinces the crew that she felt the captain's presence on the ship, and the crew surmise that she might be trapped somehow outside of their reality. And while Balana and Harry are hard at work trying to tech the tech for a scientific solution, a glowing white light appears before Janeway in engineering, similar to the anomaly that engulfed her shuttlecraft earlier. However, emerging from the glow is someone who appears to be the spirit of her father, Vice Admiral Janeway. Act 4. Unwilling to accept this apparition who in every way looks and sounds like her father, Janeway's scientific skepticism is tested when Admiral Janeway regales her with the details of both his and her lives when he died long ago on Tau City Prime in 2238. He explains to her that he has appeared to help her transition, to let go of the emotional tethers that are keeping her from moving into the next phase of her journey. As Janeway is wont to do, she resists, but the spirit of Admiral Janeway can only remind his daughter that she, as once did he, will eventually succumb and accept the reality of what has happened, that she is in fact dead, and that moving into the next world is only a matter of time, and is inevitable. Unconvinced of his reasoning, Janeway seeks out Tuvok and Kess, who are deep into their third day of meditation, trying to boost Kess's abilities to find the captain in whatever reality she may be trapped. However, they are unable, and Tuvok, like the EMH, calls it, and even in his logs enters an official note that he has failed to save the captain, but more importantly, his trusted and valued friend. And so begins Janeway's out-of-body experience, watching her crew resign to the fact that she is gone, at the behest of her father's spirit, she even attends her own memorial service as a way to make peace with her death, while watching those who knew and loved her most celebrate her memory, especially Balana and Harry, who share their own most private thoughts on how the captain changed them, while Janeway herself can only sit back and watch while struggling to hold back her own tears. And once the ceremony is over, once the bosun's whistle sounds off, and once they launch Janeway's funerary pod into the deep, Admiral Janeway reminds his daughter once again that her connection to her former life is over. Act 5. Captain Janeway understands what her father's spirit is telling her, but she's also unwilling to just give up, to surrender just because, which is interfering with her transition into the next phase of her afterlife, especially believing that her ship and her crew and those closest to her still need her, even if she is trapped in the afterlife. As she puts it to her father's spirit, a captain doesn't abandon ship. This enrages Admiral Janeway as he lets slip of a glimpse of who or what he actually is. Janeway knows her real father all too well and points out that he would never not support Catherine's zeal to discover the truth, especially about herself. Her defiance forces the alien entity to finally reveal itself. It explains it is from a species who appear before the dying to offer them a quantum of solace before crossing over. However, Janeway believes there is much more to this, that the alien is forcing her to a decision beyond a simple act of benevolence. And as she continues to defy the alien's advances, flashes of her own reality, of the EMH, Tuvok, and Chakotay trying to revive her on the planet below, 
only bolster her resolve until her defiance is complete. The alien confesses that he needs her to come to this decision on her own. And if not now, she eventually will. And once she does, he will be there, waiting to feast on her spiritual energy as it powers its matrix for a long, long time. And with that, he disappears into the glow of said matrix. Suddenly, Captain Janeway comes to on the planet below and is told that the alien entity that kept her from being revived is finally gone. It took root in her cerebral cortex shortly after she and Chakotay crash-landed in the shuttle due to the planet's electrical storm. She told the away team about the alien who posed as her father and how he offered her an afterlife, which she is glad to have avoided as it was not her ideal way to spend an eternity. Back on Voyager, Captain Janeway is recovering by getting back to work. Chakotay checks up on her with a gift of a rose as the both of them ponder if alien interference is in fact the reality of what some may only know as divine intervention when the spirit crosses over. They may never know, but Janeway has a better way to occupy their time as she invites Chakotay to join her on a moonlight sail on Lake George with a bottle of champagne. The End well done, well done, Norman. And uh, I have to say, man, if we do not get a full episode that is the recap of the USS Voyager talent show, I will be very disappointed. Even with got, Tuvok? You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, completely. I want the Tuvok extended cut. Mm. Um, definitely want all of that. It, make it a two-parter for all I care. I want that episode. Talent show and part got, one and two. Okay, we'll make a note of that. Yeah, 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 yeah man. We, we, we got four seasons to do it. So come on. Let's let's bring that on. I love uh, Janeway's and Neelix's walk and talk. There there are a lot of expressions that Kate Mulgrew was playing with that whole time, and it was nice to see. You don't really see a lot of the goofy faces, you know, in Janeway. Yeah, it was everything from kind of a little bit of annoyance to also just a little bit of. Uh, I, it, it wasn't a little bit like maternal, but a little bit um, like they were. I don't know, planning a little something on their own. Like there was a lot happening in that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, really dug that. And for something very short, it worked very well. I do have to wonder how Janeway would remember a dance from when she was six years old. I I can't remember anything that complex from when I was six years old. So good for her with her incredible memory. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? Or I should say the elephant in the shuttlecraft, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm Yeah. Wow. Their behavior just, didn't skip a beat after resolutions. It's like resolutions never really like, I know that we say this for fun, but really it hasn't resolved. It has not. I I believe I have a note about that later. And man, just right away with the Catherine. Oh my God. Familiar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right away. Right away. Yeah. I I think I want to come back to that because I have questions. Got to say some nice, uh, nice CG of the shuttle falling through the clouds there. Stuff that would be very hard to do with actual model work on a TV budget. So some nicely done stuff there. So when you see like how far back into the shuttle bay or into the shuttle's cockpit area that Jaina was thrown from. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. I know that it's also played for last, but seriously, seatbelts or a force field or something. Hello. Thank you. Right? I'm yes. just, you know, yeah. to prevent an internal force field. <sighs> yeah. Don't dampen those spirits, idea. John. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, I do like this moment where Chakotay is, you know, heroically 
brought Janeway back from the edge of death. And then he's like, uh, okay, you better get to work teching the tech. Right. <laughs> you know, on the, the, the homing signal. And then she does. She, she's like, you know, pulling herself up to sit upright. And she does. She just gets right to it, you know. But he literally just revived her a moment ago. Even from the shuttle to trying to save her life, he just drops the mm-hmm. entire, like, captain thing right he's just like the entire time he's calling her Catherine Catherine I gotta save you Catherine oh my god you can't die Catherine yeah. Catherine 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 I'm yeah like, no pretense at all alright yeah. so that's that's a thing now mm-hmm. I felt that he went right from you know using a, a hypo spray dropping her into that like in that rocky clearing that I mentioned earlier then not even in trying some type of 24th century defibrillator right into CPR I I found that a little strange from a a first aid resuscitation oh. triage yeah. standpoint. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But oh, interesting. Yeah, in a med kit because he had a med kit with him. So in that yeah. med kit, yeah. you would have obviously your hypo sprays, your cortisone, which he used later, probably bandages, etc. But I think he right. would have a defib unit also. Yeah, yeah. Do do that first, or maybe that's the setting on a phaser. <laughs> Something. Like, there's stun. There's kill. There's liquefy rock, and then there's defibrillator. defibrillator. Yeah, I want that on a phaser. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of glad to hear about the Vidians again. Like, even though we don't actually, this is not a Vidian story, I was just glad to hear about them because I thought they were cool and creepy and we're way past their territory now, but just kind of neat to have a shout out to Mm -hmm. them. Also, you know, even though we're in this weird fantasy delusional time loop thing, the dump the core moment from the shuttle, I am so glad that at least this Janeway got to live out her dream of blowing up a ship that she's on. <laughs> you know, oh. it must be very satisfying. What what a way to go. Wow. Good for her. Awesome. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad when they get back to Voyager that we get mention of a second level temporal scan. You know, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to say that whenever you do a scan, just do that one too. Do do the second level temporal. Like it, it seems like you don't want to not do a second level temporal scan if you're worried about things like time loops and right. you know messing with the whole space time continuum. Why? Yeah. yeah why the degrees? Is yeah. it, Why wouldn't you <laughs> right. want the most effective scan? Like, does yeah. it, is we'll, it a power we'll, thing? We'll do like you know? Yeah, we'll do a so-so one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm just wondering. It's kind of like because um, I know we have uh, you know people out there that would be like, well sensors you know it, they would burn up so much power like if you're going to push that much energy out into a sensor band i don't know i'm just like mm-hmm. is it one of those things i mean there's got to be a reason right yeah we don't know yeah we don't know. all right let's skip to just a a really intimate really nicely played scene the the quietness and there's a lot of that in this episode the quietness of uh the emh and janeway together in sick bay yeah. oh man yeah yeah that's an actress scene for sure. And mm-hmm. except for one other scene, which I will mention, and I think you probably mentioned it too, John, mm-hmm. the thousand okay. yard stare that Janeway, or in this case, Kate, I'm going to give the actor, the actors do when she's looking yeah. at Picardo, like yeah. people of a terminal disease. I think they know that look, you know, or people that have been affected yeah. by someone who has, that's, that's like the look, like what can we do aside from nothing? Look, wow. It, it was just, it was, it, oh, it was, incredible absolutely incredible to see that absolutely followed by the grossness of the emergence of the phage on her wow uh so we did have a a bit of a physical manifestation there that was interesting to see Mm -hmm. and uh, man then that whole scene took a turn that i did not expect 
And that was the EMH gassing her to death. Holy crap, my my jaw opened when I saw that scene for the first time. But what me too, but when I was mm. thinking about it, I'm like that's where this whole story just kind of tipped me off. Like this isn't real. This isn't Oh real. sure. Not you know? real. But it but was they powerful. still play it out. Yeah. 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 I think that Robert Beltran, his moments, yeah. you know, grieving Janeway's death, like in his arms. Uh, I'm sorry. I believe you mean Catherine's. Oh, I'm sorry. Catherine's <laughs> I guess I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if, yeah. if he's dropped the pretense, we've all dropped the pretense, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's some of the best, like unguarded acting I've seen him do. Like usually he has a very like 90s soap opera-esque approach to a kind of like Mm-hmm. Being able to push emotions just far enough without embracing the the gravitas of that moment, when he has her yeah. in his arms and he's like really just gut wrenchingly crying out, you know, in despair. I bought that. Yeah. I finally bought that from him, and I thought that was good. It yeah. was a good moment for him. I'm going to throw this out there again, and look, even though I know we are firmly in the delusion sequences of the episode. It's just a good idea to keep any shuttle missions <laughs> always in communications range of Voyager. Like, there's no reason for Voyager to be flying along and a shuttle be like two weeks away with no communication. Like, no, 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 no. There's no mission where you need to do that. And then I, also a thing that kind of concerned me, like, can you imagine being haunted by Janeway, like like her her defiance and her dedication to this, like I'm staying here until you realize it. <laughs> like that that is that is 100 percent Janeway. Mm. When, when Janeway's fixed on a target, it is hard to wave her off. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. Oh yeah, I yeah. really liked when when she's there trying to consult Chakotay with watching her body in his arms. Mm-hmm. Her. her her phantom form kind of she tries to console him pushes you know like tries to rub his shoulder or console him that way and then it yeah. just passes through him and at first glance yeah. you, d- you kind of miss it but then you know she looks yeah. at her hand i'm like what's going on i'm like oh 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 she's a phantom yeah. that's interesting it was nice nicely mm-hmm. done yeah by the way uh, uh on that same note why do ghosts pass through walls doors and people but still walk on floors do we no, that yet. I understand from okay, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Push up the glasses. So it's it's, it's my understanding that they are not necessarily in contact with the floor, but they are in the same mm. plane of existence as you or I in that three dimensional okay. space. Right. I don't buy it either, buy it. but that's. That being said, though, I. I I did like her running after Cass and phasing through the door. I thought that that effect yeah. was consistent and, and well done. Very cool stuff. And then we meet Dad, Admiral Janeway. He's so cool. He doesn't need that undershirt collar oh, no. thing with his uniform. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that uniform at all. Um, <laughs> Definitely not like that. <laughs> I, I felt like, okay, so remember, um, we're not skipping the timeline, going all the way back to when we saw like Jack Crusher for mm-hmm. the very first time, you know, Beverly's husband in the holodeck sequence. Yep. And he's in the yep. Monster Maroon without the turtleneck. I'm like, that's patently wrong. Now, I understand that they're trying to create, you know, the you know the uh, the bridge between that uniform and the first and second season next generation uniform where it is just kind of like the the exposed collar line but yeah. here there are so many almost as if they they found like a like a note or a throwaway copy of a uniform that w- design that wasn't approved and put it on him right yeah 
I went down. So I went down the rabbit hole. I went to Memory Alpha. I double checked twenty uh, when he died, and he served mm. during the time when they were wearing the next generation com badge. So why isn't he wearing that oh. as the apparition? And why didn't Janeway go. notice that? Yeah, like. Unless she was imagining that and imagine, oh, and of course she was imagining it, right. but she was imagining it wrong. Right. Maybe. So that's just something I'm like, mm-hmm. if you have, a, if you're saying he died on a specific date, he would have been wearing the accoutrement of that era. Yeah. Good point. So anyway. Good point. Yeah. I do love in her well, multiple discussions with Admiral Janeway. I love the tautological problem with Janeway, uh, Captain word. Janeway, pointing out that, thank you, that her father could just be a projection of what she knows. And yes, yes, either way, he is her father and knows these things, mm-hmm. or she is hallucinating, therefore he knows these things. Right. <laughs> like, either way, either way, yes. It, it, truly, though, it really must suck to think that you are watching the two most advanced minds on your ship try to contact you and then both fail. <laughs> like, it just uh, in very short order, like, uh, we can't do it. Uh, she's not here. We give up. It, it's like, you know, uh, remember that story that Houdini, mm-hmm. uh, he asked his wife to hold seances because he thought, like, if anybody can come back from the dead, he can definitely do it. And guess what? Spoiler, uh, yeah. guys, he, he, he didn't, still hasn't. Yeah. Marketing backfire. On that one, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, so I know that I've poked fun at Tuvok's lighting situation as it's always dark in his quarters. But in this case, mm-hmm. in the real world production vernacular, it really does light him well when Tim is oh, yeah. logging in the captain's death. It's very, it's punctuated by that lighting. So I approve of the lighting mm. in this situation in his quarters is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like he needs yeah, my approval, very, very but I'm just cool. saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and again, another just like beautifully quiet scene contrasted with scenes where we have heavy action, a lot of sound effects, lighting effects and heavy emoting. Just the quietness of these scenes really beautifully done. But look, we have to talk about the memorial service. Mm-hmm. Does Captain Janeway imagine that, that that's all she'll get? <laughs> I mean, a few words from Bolana and Harry and then just a handful of other crew people that we've never seen standing around. I mean, is this even the biggest room on the ship? I don't think it is. Uh, Spock got a way better send-off than Oh, this. yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's one of those kind of things where that's kind of like another tip-off to, like, what's going on. You would think it would be yeah. a little bit more pomp, a little bit more circumstance. Yeah, I don't know. Unless, like, somewhere along the line, then we may have missed it earlier or somewhere in her, you know, when... It's so kind of like in the Tholian web, you know, Kirk said, if anything happens to me, go to my quarters. Here's my last will and testament. And I just want you two guys to get along. You know, that's all. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. there's something where, like, the first officer has an order, like a sealed order if the captain dies, you know, and said, yeah, she doesn't right. want anything fancy. And maybe that was something that we missed. Right. Like, maybe that's something they forgot to put in there. Like, I know you want to celebrate the captain, but, you know, our captain wasn't fancy. She didn't want a fancy to do about her demise, you know, or... Yeah. And, and in those orders, she says, and I definitely, definitely exclude three quarters of the crew from even being there. Just leave them out. 
<laughs> I, I just want about about 12 to 18 people in the mess hall. That's all I want. <laughs> the re- Don't even tell the others until like three or four weeks later. It's so weird, too, because like the ratio of command to operations to science uniforms is staggering. There were like mm-hmm. two science officers there. Yeah. And they were on like right. opposite sides of the room. It was really hard for the camera <laughs> to get to them. But yeah. I did like Bolana's her eulogy because she did it in a way where, you know, she was obviously sharing a very powerful feeling with everyone, but I loved how Roxanne kept her arms crossed as if I'm still defending myself Mm. from being vulnerable or too vulnerable. I'm wondering if it was her note, her personal note to do that, knowing her character, or was it a Nancy Malone note directing that character? Because it's a very specific way of keeping guarded you know, and staying guarded with your arms crossed. Also in that scene, a really nice kind of sweet, goofy moment from Harry. It's the, you know, the contrived personal story. And and that was cute. But, ah, man, is it amazing to see Kate silently crying in the background, the way that shot was framed, Mm -hmm. the emotion in her face, just perfection, absolute perfection. I had a note on that. So, at timestamp 34 mm. minutes, 25 seconds, John, you, you, you described it perfectly. And the way that her jaw clenched and kind of shuddered mm. reminded me yeah. exactly when Kirk said human, eulogizing yes. Spock. Exactly, yes. right? He was just choking back the tears because he couldn't afford to show that kind of weakness in front of the crew. Now, Janeway did show her tears, and she was overwhelmed with her own emotion, grief, you know, acceptance of what's happening. But... Yeah, it was just a very similar powerful moment. I love the antique bosun's whistle. I love it when they use yeah. the actual whistle. And I don't like the digital one that they use from time to time. It just seems no, me either. It seems untraditional. Let's make a space whistle. Yeah, it is yeah. a space whistle. Yeah. <laughs> right. Space. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. And then wrapping it up, like we, we get into the final act here. And I so many moments with Len that I really appreciate his line, even like, what can I do to convince you? Like, like he's the used car salesman <laughs> of the afterlife. Like, what do I have to do to get you into the afterlife today? <laughs> you know, so great. And he's so good. He, he even in these very antagonistic, very forceful lines he has this strange kind of smile on his face Mm -hmm. like just making it even weirder creepier by the way i'm sure that you notice that chakotay let it slip in front of the other he called her Catherine. he sure did again yeah Yeah, come on dude watch watch where you are who you're with you know oh oh, and this very interesting bit here we detected an alien presence within your cerebral cortex eventually it was dislodged that's what the the emh says after tuvok explains Hang on, time out. I want to see this thing. <laughs> like, yeah. What did they detect? Like, like, like a physical entity, an energetic signature. What does it look like? A little worm, or, or like the little things in uh, conspiracy? I want to know. Like, like a SETI alpha it. eel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just like, like. How did you poke at it? <laughs> I gotta know. Final scene there. Chicote with a flower. Hey, girl. Janeway. Yeah. She's very chummy. She's talking about champagne, a little midnight sailing, and that very big smile on her face when they leave the room. Right. Mm-hmm. I liked the, yeah. the return of the gilded coffee cup. I oh, liked sure. her new coffee pot, carafe, whatever that was. That looked super cool. 
Yeah. I like that. Very um, cool. And yeah. what you just described, John, I mean, I don't think I'm wrong here, but that was a date, right? It it definitely sounds like a date. Can't disagree with you there. But but look, that's important. Can I also just remind us how important it is that Janeway talked down death? As a computer, I find it frustrating that nobody tries to work out a way to restore Captain Janeway from a previously saved backup. You organics do backups, don't you? Hello, my name is Tawny Newsom. I play Beckett Mariner on Star Trek Lower Decks. I am Paul F. Tompkins, and I play Dr. Migley Moe on Star Trek Lower Decks. But more importantly, we're just a couple of Star Trek nerds who are excited because we finally get to talk about Star Trek again with all of you. And we will be featuring Deep Space Nine guests to celebrate the show's 30th anniversary. We're going to be talking Picard Season 3 with members of the original The Next Generation cast. Listen to Star Trek The Pod Directive wherever you get your podcasts. So, John, here we are with some pretty high concepts. And we do like our high concepts in Star Trek. Oh, you know? yeah. and, and Voyager has had, you know, like a run of some pretty highly conceptualized ideas. But here's one that I'm going to start off with yeah. just to get the conversation started, see if it sparks any interest. Observing your own afterlife. I'm not sure if this is something that we've entertained yet in in Star Trek. I mean, here's a question for you. Here's a question for the audience. Would you want to actually observe, watch your own wake? I, you know, that, that was such an interesting scene. And, of course, as you mentioned in the last segment, Kate played it so beautifully, even though it was a little weird. The, the wake scene itself and how few of the crew were there, but I digress. She grounded that. She made it absolutely beautiful to watch. And I was thinking that I, I'm actually a fan of what has become a, a little bit of a trend maybe in the last 20, 30 years or so, the idea of a living wake or a living memorial service where somebody, especially if they know that they're terminal, they will gather their friends and family, and do all of those things while the person who is affected is still there to enjoy it. I think there's a real beauty to that. And it, yes, it is different than if the person is actually gone. And I think in the, in the best sense of it, like that is the one that you want to watch. And you want to be there as the person to, to be able to say, like, no, 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 here's the kind of send-off that I want to have. And then after I'm actually gone, eh, probably not as important because I'm, I'm not there to enjoy it. I'm not there to be a part of it. So, I, I you know, given that those tonally are different things, I don't know if you'd actually want to have the consciousness be aware of the post death wake. I mean, it's an impossible situation anyway, just in its description. But I kind of get the idea if it is this thing that, that the mere deceased can actually appreciate. It's an interesting thing because you don't know who's going to respond and how, mm -hmm. especially Janeway. You know, obviously, she was moved when you know, Balana was sharing something that I think for a Klingon is definitely difficult to do, and that is to show that kind of vulnerability. But I think it's, it was Harry's part, his turn in the eulogy, where I think it really affected her emotionally because 
there is a connection that they've had since the very beginning. Uh, when she said, um, I think to Chakotay, like, or to Tuvok, how am I going to write Carrie's mom? And how am I going to explain to her that, you know, her son died on my watch in his very first yeah, mission, you yeah. know, on a starship and going to emanations. You know, there are so many examples. But here's the bigger thing. Like, so say she's... Yeah, the eulogy was a little, or the the crew in the eulogy was a little light. Now, sure, some people were on duty, and maybe Janeway would want to stroll the ship one last time before accepting mm-hmm. uh, her father's spirit's offer of, you know, transferring into the next phase. But what if she stumbled upon crewmen there that weren't as uh, they weren't as affectionate towards her? Ooh. Right? How would that like? That's that's also part of this 360 degree moment in her experience that she didn't encounter, but definitely could happen. So you, I know you bring that up for a bit of a, of a laugh, but what if there were people that showed up that didn't show up? And that's why maybe the eulogy crew crowd was so thin. Wow. That's fair. That, that is a possibility. I mean, certainly she was at odds with her Maquis crew for a little while. We haven't really addressed that again in a very long time. But it is completely believable that either some of those people or just rank-and-file crew who are disgruntled about being in the Delta Quadrant, they could... Still. Yeah, yeah. They, you know? they could have a problem with Captain Janeway. And even at best feel indifferent about her death. So, yeah, mm-hmm. may, they, these are probably, and again, we're, we're watching it through her eyes because it's her delusion, but these also have to be thoughts that would be going through her head, don't you think? I'm glad that you used that specific word, delusion, mm-hmm. because I think what hurts me most about emotionally, making myself emotionally accessible to the possibility is that it is all a delusion and the sentiments that come across from her crewmates, you know, and the people closest to her are also delusions. It's what she believes they would say or what she wants to believe they would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Layer. So maybe. Yeah. Right. In her mind's eye, there weren't any off color remarks about her leadership ability or lack thereof. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting idea. Okay. Well, look, I feel like with this episode, I walked away with so many unanswered questions. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. okay. So we are led to believe that there are definitely more than one alien like this guy, like this guy embodied as Admiral Janeway is one among many of his species that can do this and does this on the regular. And I kept wondering, okay, so how many are there? What do they get from someone who is dead or near death? Like, what actually is that thing? And uh, and why do the deceased or near deceased need to volunteer to go with him? That seems like one of those made-up vampire story things. Where you just, oh, no, 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 they have to be invited in. That's the only way that it works, right. all right? 
You can't cross over into your better afterlife unless you come with me first, specifically. Exactly. Like, like why, why, did, yeah. why is that part of it, you know? And then what part of the consciousness, and I'm kind of putting that in quotes because I, I love her pushback about that whole concept. Um, what part of the consciousness is it that goes with him? Because once the brain stops functioning, that that that's it. Like that, that mm-hmm. is gone. So it seems like the alien would want the body too, unless the alien is just living on that that last millisecond of the brain has stopped functioning, and there's a you know flood of brain chemicals and neural activity, and then the alien has to move on to the next thing. I'm not exactly sure, uh, unless unless this is Star Trek just deciding that dualism is a real thing like there there's the mind there there's mm-hmm. the I, I should say there's the brain the and bu- then there's yeah. the mind the consciousness which are two separate things and i'm i'm not sure that star trek really wants to go down that route of just deciding that dualism is an actual thing and then here's the other question why janeway I mean, is it only because that alien can find somebody when they are near death? Like, that's the moment that they have to get in there? Why not someone else on Voyager? There's a lot of other people. Harry Kim has died twice, practically. (laughs) You know? So, we could just go after him. That would be fine. More questions. I'm throwing out these rhetorical thoughts. You can feel free to interrupt me at any time. (laughs) Why does that work with any species? Because this is an alien in the Delta Quadrant that does its thing. If anyone anywhere in the galaxy has a near-death experience, are they all visited by this guy or someone in his species? Because that certainly would upend any number of faith traditions right there. We don't, yeah. we don't know how far their reach is. That kind of worries me a bit. I think the, the issue, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it just feels like everything is either human-centric based on the reactions of this alien needing her specifically or uh, specifically Mm religious-centric. Because I didn't necessarily see the alien preying upon, like, the consciousness, the moment of her death. I thought that he was basically waiting for her soul to emerge, to separate itself from the body. And if that were the case, that means that this episode predicates the fact that the body has a soul waiting for to be caught <laughs> right. by this alien being, which means that there is something in the transference of energy represented in the the religious definition of soul transference when the soul leaves the body after the body yeah. dies. That's what this alien is waiting for. So we can feast upon kind of like that, I don't know, something in science fiction, they, terminal, they, they use the terminology of like some type of psychokinetic energy right. Right. Of, of, of the biological electrical pattern you know, inside your body, just turning into the ether, you know, and this alien's like, oh, <laughs> buffet style, right? right? But why Janeway? Like, yeah. or was he just passing through and said, hey, someone's dying. I think I'll go here, yeah. right? And, and, or is she is for something, is something in her biological makeup more enticing, more appetizing to this alien to prey upon her specifically. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And I know that there are people who will gladly disagree with me, but um, I am not necessarily prepared to go down that route with, um, y- you know, Star Trek 
basing this story on the predication of a soul as a separate thing that leaves about a consciousness being separate from the brain, being separate from the, the function that the brain does. So, yeah, it's a little weird. And, and if I try to science it, then the only way that I can really get there is to say, okay, there is a moment biologically where the brain does something, has that near-death experience, has that flood of chemical and electrical energy, and the creature needs that. But again, that creature isn't letting it get that from our perspective for a millisecond, and then it's gone, and then it needs to move on to the other thing. Do you think time was looping because that was a representation of Janeway resisting, mentally resisting, so it kept resetting until she was finally worn down up to yeah, a point? see, that's what I was wondering. And is it this idea that the alien needs to keep killing Janeway in order to get her to come with him? Like, okay, she doesn't believe it this time, so we're going to come up with another mm -hmm. scenario or manipulate the scenario. So then maybe she'll really believe it. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I mean, from her perspective as the scientist, it looks like a time loop from the alien's perspective. Right. It just looks like, no, no, no. She really has to be convinced or does the alien. Right. This time with yeah, feeling. Time, right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's like, does the alien need her to believe it in a way that is just so that, that like matches what the aliens needs that this matrix mechanism, whatever that is, can handle. So I, I, I guess answering my own question, the alien doesn't really need to manipulate time. He's not actually doing that, but he is so neurochemically bound to this experience that he's able to replay this scenario with that level of specificity, which is a very interesting idea, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, may maybe he just needs to get to that point that it's like she is absolutely convinced, but even then convincing Janeway, she needed to be convinced again, and even then she couldn't quite be convinced, <laughs> even though... I think uh -huh. she... I, I think she needed, or the alien needed... To unlock, say, the believability of Chakotay's grief in order for Janeway mm. to accept what happened to her, hence the out-of-body experience and seeing herself through the pain of Chakotay's loss or his grieving, and then the grieving of, obviously, the, the crew afterwards, because... You know, the, her father's spirit said, I can't force you to come with me. I need you to voluntarily agree to surrender yourself to me. That way I can feed upon your, your essence or your mm. energy, which I still don't get because, like, it seems like you could pretty much grab her and take her if you wanted to. Yeah. Like, where do these rules apply right. and why? Right. Well, they, they apply to this episode because they decided <laughs> that that's what would yeah, apply in this episode. <laughs> all right. Let, let's uh, – because this is all very interesting stuff for which there are no answers at all. Mm -hmm. But I, I like the idea that they sparked all these questions. Can we talk about Chicote? <laughs> because, because you mentioned it in the last segment, and I mentioned it too. All right, the majority of the story takes place in Janeway's mind. Mm -hmm. She is giving Chicote the role of the grieving romantic partner. Because she's resolved to she, that. She Her resolution resolved. is for that. <laughs> okay, very yes. good. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not sure where this episode wants us to land on their relationship, which is unresolved. I mean, look, it, for all those segments that take place in her hallucination, delusion, imagination, 
however you want to put it, she is being manipulated by the alien too. We could go with that and say, uh, okay, maybe there is a presumed closeness because it's comforting, because he is the person closest to her in that moment, etc., etc. How about all the scenes that take place outside of her hallucination, where it is Chakotay calling her Catherine, and not just calling her Catherine, but doing so in front of others? And then they're going to go have a champagne boat date. On the hollow. A moonlight moonlight date. date. Yeah. yeah. So so what's the deal here? What do you think? They're they're very chummy on that shuttle. How do you feel about it? Well, it's a little inconsistent from episodes past. I mean, obviously we saw their relationship in resolutions and we saw Janeway easily shelve that at the end of that episode, you know, where things return to status quo. But we haven't really seen a return to form of said feelings until this episode. And I'm wondering yeah. why now specifically, especially since the romanticism and the dynamic between the two of them, it did exist in her dream, or in, I would say in the manipulated you know, mental state that she was in because of the alien. But I think the more romantic nudge, nudge, wink, wink to each other and to the audience happened in the shuttle at the beginning they were so at ease with each other. They were so naturally flirtatious and um, affectionate to each other in so many small ways. Yeah. Like the way that she looked at him, the smile, kind of like just e- the, the ease about which they were with each other. Mm-hmm. That's not without, you know, that's not without being unnoticed, especially by we, the audience. So. Is this a specific direction that they wanted to take these characters and just haven't been able to get there yet? And this is a reset since resolutions? I don't know. I just don't know where it's going to go from here. Yeah. Uh, Well, me either. And that's why I was so curious about it, because it, it seems like an episode that's trying to have its cake and eat it, too, and saying there are these feelings there. Oh, but don't worry, they're happening in Janeway's mind in this one near-death experience moment. But they're also happening in real time. (laughs) So where does the episode want us to land when it comes to that particular part of their relationship? I'm not sure that I know. It takes so much time for the captain to talk death back into its corner. Maybe a Tuvok poetry reading would have done the job faster. Well, I think we've reached the coda of our Mission Log episode, John. Perfect. We didn't even have to do the title game because the coda, it's the end. Yeah. It is the Mm -hmm. end. It is the end. And I think musically speaking, there's also a repeat Mm. at the end. Okay. So not that we're going to repeat ourselves, but there may be a few things that may reoccur from points that we've made earlier because those points made earlier are going to be maybe a little bit more expounded upon now. Uh, As we do at the end of our episodes, we're going to take a look at does this episode actually hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? And then we're going to see if we were able to mine any morals or meanings or messages from this episode. So as we are wont to do, John, Uh how did you feel this about this episode? Okay, I, I don't want anybody to be disappointed in me. Certainly not Janeway. I can't live with Janeway's Never. disappointment. <laughs> but Never. Th- th- this 
is one of those episodes where everything is actually very well done. The twists, the acting, hands down. I mean, Kate is just incredible from episode to episode. Even if an episode isn't great, she's always great. The production value, very good. So then I feel weird when I say that it doesn't hold up for me. Your mileage may vary. That is perfectly fine. It is an episode as much ado about giving Janeway another experience to question her, her what, her existence, her place in the universe. I feel like we did that more effectively in Sacred Ground. Now, if this episode is an excuse to flesh out her backstory a little bit more, okay, I I am perfectly good with that part. For all that said, I really, really have to hand it to Voyager. Even if this episode, again, to me, (laughs) may not go down as a favorite of all time. Look, we spent years on TNG with its kind of high-minded morality tales. And then we spent years on DS9 with its interest in political intrigue, with its, you know, backdrop of religious factions. And I think Voyager gets a lot of grief for being watered down or not quite knowing what it is. But just think of all the stories that we've had in two and a half seasons. I mean, where they have actually gone there when it comes to exploring the weird and the existential. We've killed Harry a couple of times, given Janeway an exploration of faith. We've given Neelix a lot to chew on with his feelings of self-worth. How many times has Chakotay been on a vision quest? I mean, (laughs) there might be some forgettable episodes on occasion, but overall, I really appreciate that Voyager will just go there and bask in its own weirdness from time to time with an episode like this one. So again, I I feel a little contradictory here by saying that maybe just taken as an episode, it doesn't hold up in my estimation of it. But at the same time, I can't really find fault with it. Everything is done very well. And just from a performance point of view, Kate, knockout absolutely incredible um but maybe there's a part of me that looks at it and says okay well it was an an alien infestation episode and then we just need to get rid of the alien and then we're done but how can i possibly forget jane wade talking down death (laughs) you know so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, excellent amazing incredible moments uh but i'm just going to be over here sitting on the fence about this one (laughs) how about you norman Mm -hmm. yeah i know that this is kind of like the easy way out but it is a yes and no for me too Mm. because i think that so if you haven't watched really any star trek or haven't followed it as fervently as many of us fans have done Mm. if you're like a casual fan i think that you would find that it's a very entertaining and intriguing story in an episode because you haven't followed or seen all of that which came before voyager Mm. But if you have, and many of us actually have, you know, then it doesn't really present as anything extraordinarily new or remarkable, you know, from a storytelling standpoint. I think that there are great component parts of this story. Like you said, the acting, the production, the lighting, Mm -hmm. uh, the acting, especially the acting. Kate was really incredible in this, and so were many others. It's just that... When you don't have that cohesion in an episode, it's really hard to find the tone. I mean, we watch these episodes, you know, many times over, and I still had a 
a bit of a struggle with finding where it was trying to land. Was it a time travel story? Was mm-hmm. it an alternate reality story? Was it alien intervention? And it was kind of all of the above, but every one of those very separate, very strong component parts, they were all competing against each other. Mm. And mm. I think that we've seen them done differently and with more um, attention to detail, specifically as an isolated episode in other episodes and even in Voyager. Yeah. Let's take Emanations, for example, yeah. which we, you know, they were you know, looking at Harry and kind of like the spirituality of that alien species and looking at it from the outside in as we we're doing with this episode. But I think that emanations did it far better than they did it here. Yeah. That was like the no part, but the yes part that works for me is because the performances hold the center. Yeah. Right. You're watching for the emotional beats of the characters that are there. And especially with Chakotay showing us a little bit more, he's being a little extra in this episode, <laughs> you know? And again, Maybe it's because we're watching Janeway's projection of how she feels he would react. But at the same time, it's still the performance that sells us, that keeps us compelled to watch more of this episode and where Chakotay is going with his grief. So I thought that was fantastic. Uh, Roxanne, I thought she did a great job in the eulogy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Garrett did a great job in the eulogy. Um, But unfortunately, as if that were the rising tide, if the performances were... It's not enough for me to lift all the boats, right? You know, in this episode, that's again. I don't, I, I don't feel ambivalent about it. I like the episode. It's just, it's, it's struggling to find its voice, and when that happens, we struggle, or at least I do, struggle along with really investing myself because there are so many notes to pick from. <laughs> Isn't this right? interesting that we we come to an episode like Macrocosm and I feel like, you know, for an hour we just kind of had fun with it, picked it apart, pointed out all the problems, and then in the end said, but this was so much fun, we can't help but love it. Here's an episode mm-hmm. where there is so much happening. There's a lot of food for thought. There are great dramatic moments. And we both come away saying, yeah, but what else? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And it's it's not because just objectively one episode is better than the other. It's, I guess, coming down to what does the episode set out to do? And, you know, I mentioned back in the trivia that there are a lot of plot threads, a lot of ideas are getting kicked around. And Jerry Taylor came along to kind of scoop them all up and turn them into one episode. So you could have done this as a time loop and tech the tech to get out of it. You could have done this as a near-death experience episode and left us with a kind of strange quasi-spiritual existential message. You could have done it as just an alien infestation story. So you could have gone any one of those ways and they may have all felt watered down if you had just done one or the other. In this, you squeeze them together and I think, as you pointed out, you have moments that are just fantastic. But at the end of the episode, you go, okay, but what did I actually get out of it? Yeah. You know? Um, Well, what did you get out of it? Talk to me about morals, meanings, messages. It was difficult to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it it there because there are so many different concepts that were being you know explored in this episode, and I I think I I mean I, I'm actually still doubting it. Even looking at my own notes, I'm still <laughs> doubting if I got it right. Yeah. But this is what I got. This is what I got. I suppose the meaning that I mined from this episode is this: if you live long enough to see it, 
Arthur C. Clarke's third law will eventually become a reality. Mm. That what was once considered magic is simply science unexplained, which, in my opinion, is exactly what happened to Janeway in this episode and how she used her own scientific parameters to corroborate the the information that were that was able to disprove what the Delta Quadrant aliens, these spirit soul feeders, mm-hmm. if you will, you know, and their their influence on those who are about to enter the afterlife, you know, because she dropped the veil between what is a spiritual thought or practice versus what was the reality of it, which was this alien just feeding on her energy and manipulating her to surrender that to him so he could sustain himself for eternity or for however how long so it's an interesting concept that the afterlife is indeed unexplainable and defined in a variety of different ways according to one specific faith and i found that trying to attempt to do that in this episode but then present that it's because of alien influence was it's a tremendous ask when it comes to resolving those two concepts right? right but I do like how it explored the idea that out in the Delta Quadrant, there are these examples of finding uh, finding these larger concepts to talk about. It's For all intents and purposes, the Delta Quadrant has been an incredible testing ground for these ideas. Hmm. And I love that Voyager is presenting us these highbrow concepts about, say, evolution and spirituality, Mm -hmm. right? I mentioned emanations before and how it was the afterlife to some, but just a transporter burial deposit observed by others. (laughs) Yeah. Right. These are the realities of it. Again, going to Arthur C. Clarke. When people in those cocoons and emanations, when they disappeared, they entered the afterlife, right? From Voyager's standpoint, there was just this strange alien burial ground that they couldn't escape because of what deposits that these life forms were creating Mm -hmm. once they were transported there. So how do you resolve that? Let's go all the way back to, say, Tattoo. This is another example of Delta Quadrant aliens visiting Earth and influencing an entire tribe of native people. Mm Some 45,000 years ago, and yet this also has been disproven as alien influence when Chakotay finally face-to-face confronted them in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. You see my point? Yeah. You see where I'm getting at here? <laughs> yeah. So, And now, these Delta Quadrant aliens are nothing really more than parasites who feed off the energy for those who are entering the afterlife, but they're not entering the afterlife. They're entering the manipulation. Yeah by these aliens so that they would surrender willingly their energy so that the aliens can live. So I know that it sounds critical, but it's not. I find this (laughs) fascinating because when you really think about it, when you challenge the supernatural, when you challenge the spiritual, Mm -hmm. when you challenge the unexplained and using science, you know, as your barometer, right? For me, it, it, that's very Star Trek yes. to me. It just, yes. right? It's, just, it's like Kirk being able to battle, you know, to match wits with Landru and beat a supercomputer yes. in the end yes. using science versus religion. Yeah. So, I know, again, I know that TLDR, <laughs> I, 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 I love that Voyager presents us these large concepts. 
I just have a little bit of a difficult time wrapping my brain around the A to Z of getting to Sure, there. sure. But, so, but isn't it yeah. cool? I mean, that kind of goes back to what I was saying a moment ago, that that is a thing that early on you can tell is woven into the tapestry of storytelling that is Voyager. Like on TNG, mm. and I, I, everybody knows I love TNG, you'd get the odd story here and there, like one of my favorites, Who Watches the Watchers? Hey, we're going to go explore something about religion and spirituality and, uh, and, and its collision with science in this one episode, and then we walk away. What Voyager has done is it's taken all of these opportunities with different characters to keep exploring it. And even if you get an episode that's better or worse along the way, it's still an idea that is so deeply embedded in how this show is conceived. So it it kind of, you know, breaks my heart a little bit when I feel like Voyager gets looked at as something less than TNG (laughs) or DS9 in that respect. So look, you said the magic word, he said science, and that brings me to my <laughs> morals, meanings, messages, maybe a little more flippant than yours, but, uh, but we're, we're thinking <laughs> along the same lines here. Admiral Janeway, again, remember it is Captain Janeway projecting this thought from her father. I raised you to be a doubter and a skeptic to look at the world with a scientist's eye. But in this instance, that won't work. Aha, 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 excuse me, except it would, (laughs) as long as he presented a way to verify his claims. So again, Captain Janeway is completely right to doubt it here. And by the way, if you weren't paying attention, he is a nefarious alien. So, yes, yes, again, the the scientific approach is the correct approach here. And then let's talk about kind of the the wrap-up at the end there. The alien, he wanted to take me into another place. Another place? Some kind of afterlife? Maybe. But I can tell you this. From what I saw, it's certainly not where I'd like to spend eternity. Okay, Janeway, I agree with you. But what if that's it? Because, again, we, we don't know how far reaching these aliens are, what they do, if this happens all the time or not. What if when you die, there's an alien presence that wraps itself around your cerebral cortex and then pretends to be your relative so it can take you through the portal to its alien matrix and feed off your consciousness? I mean, that's what we've got here. That is a much worse afterlife than most that I have ever heard described. So I hope that you add a new god or concept into whichever one you already pray to that will for sure help you avoid that because i don't want that for anybody (laughs) also um just another quick scientific thought here uh a quote near death experience is by definition near they aren't death if they really were deaf, we wouldn't be hearing these stories. Logic. Yep, yep. Now, so far, as where we are today, you can recreate those conditions chemically in the brain. And I, I guess if we dig deeply enough with the right advanced equipment, we can find a little soul-sucking alien creature that's sitting your cerebral cortex doing it too. So sleep tight, everyone. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you would like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com 
And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Blood Fever. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. The one thing I think we can all agree on that we learned from this episode is that Vidians give killer shoulder rubs. Seriously, never accept a shoulder rub from a Vidian. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.